We are in the matter of ancient homes with modern problems. Ancient homes with modern problems. We looked at the home of Adam and Eve, and it's a matter of disobedience. Lining my life up with the Word of God is critical. And just saying, God, if you say it, I'm going to follow it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to go the way that you want me to go. So Adam and Eve's home was a matter of disobedience. They had one area to obey. And they disobeyed Almighty God. They primarily disobeyed because they believed Satan's question. Yea, hath God said. The second home that we looked at was that of, uh, and it just escaped my mind. What was the second one? Lot and his wife. And it was the issue of desertion. Thank you very much. I was kind of going through the cycle of others that we have. And I knew Abraham and Sarah and then some others. But Lot and his wife, and it was the matter of desertion. It doesn't happen overnight. Sin is very seductive. God puts up billboards and says, please don't go this way, don't go this way, don't go this way. The bridge is out, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. But boy, it just it just ramped up and Lot got closer and closer to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, deserted the place of God's blessings. Then last night we looked at the home of Isaac and Rebecca and uh, Brother Cody was telling me uh, just some interesting facts from Answers in Genesis because they've mapped out the age groups of all of those patriarchs and the, the, the age time frame of Esau and Jacob when they had this debate was they were 77 years old, according to, I guess, the study from Answers in Genesis and other commentators. So at 77, they were having this wrestling match, and I agree with them wholeheartedly. We're, we're pretty accustomed to the flannel graph Bible stories where it's these two little boys that are all haired up and fixing the, the venison and everything like this. And, and uh, it's a little kid at 12 years old going out with a bow and arrow and, and shooting the deer, but 77 years old. So that's quite something. That division had been in that home for quite a while. It's also interesting that I think he said further that he left, when Jacob left the homeland and went and married Rachel, the daughter of Laban, that she was in her teens when they met. When they met, not when they got married. So she, okay, because he had to wait seven years. So we'd have to add all those numbers together. Okay. So when he originally went to 25 and 84. Now, now I know that, that it's a little bit different in our day, but I'm not positive. I guess, you know what? That probably does happen today. That probably does happen today. 25 and 84. So for those of you men that have daughters, if an 84-year-old man started hitting on your 25-year-old daughter, you know, at least ask about the bank account first. And then, and then maybe say, no, how's your health, you know, or something like that. But that is quite interesting. So 25 and 84, because he had to wait seven years. And then, uh, and, and we, do we know how old Leah was at the time? How much older Leah was than Rachel? Interesting to think on that. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to look at the home of David. This is probably the most intense home because of the nature of what David dealt with. And here in his life, keep in mind, David in his, when this event occurs, he is in his 60s, okay? He reigned until he was 70 years old. David only lived to be 70 years old. David, the great king, only lived to be 70 years old. David's in his 60s, and we want to look at the home of David, and here is the issue. It's the issue of desire. 
desire. And I'm going to, I'm going to use another word in front of it so that we identify that this is not a desire that is biblical. Okay. There are desires that God puts in our heart and the Bible describes it to us in Psalm. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So it's not as though I'm going to go out here. Listen, I'm, I'm just going to be forthright and honest with you guys right now. I desire a Dodge Challenger with a 392 engine and souped up tires and wheels and everything like that, but only in stick shift. I will not get an automatic. I am, I am not going to have a souped up car and have it be in an automatic. So um, that's what I desire. But I've got to tell you this. Okay, that desire's not from the Lord. <laughs> now, I have tried to convince him that I could be much more effective on visitation. I could get there quicker. <laughs> They would all know when I had arrived, <laughs> you know, hey, preacher's here, you know, uh, uh, man, I would love that. But that desire is not from the Lord, okay? The, the, the principle is that God, when I'm delighting in him, he places within my heart desires and it lines my life and my will up with him. And that's what I ultimately want. So I'm going to put a word in front of desires, but because of our alliteration with the other words, uh, I'll just give you that word desire this morning. And I also want to give you right here in the outset, this is, this is a critical message that I believe would be a blessing to you. And it's also a critical matter as we look at this. Um, I want to give you several things right at the outset so that if you have opportunity to help somebody else, this will be at the top of your notes, okay? There's a message on YouTube by Dr. Adrian Rogers. Now, he pastored in Memphis. He uh, was a Southern Baptist, I know that, uh, but he has been called the Prince of Preachers by some because of his great eloquence, and, um, and we might have some disagreements on application of some areas of the scriptures, but he preaches a message, and it's on YouTube under Adrian Rogers, it's called The High Cost of Low Living, and he preaches a message on David's life, The High Cost of Low Living. If you have sons that are old enough to really digest uh, this matter, Adrian Rogers' message is incredible. And I, I, I refer to it on a number of different occasions. I've listened to it probably a dozen or more times. Um, the issue that we're going to deal, this, this, deal, this, deal with this morning is destroying more lives and more marriages than anything. I want to give you a couple of other things. There is a book out called... Pure Desire, Pure Desire, I believe it is written by Ted Roberts, Ted Roberts, and it, it deals specifically with the nature of pornography and the nature of what we take in in our, in our eye gate. Um, you would be shocked if not dismayed and discouraged by the stats of husbands that are addicted to pornography, and it's not just in the pew, the rate of pastors that are addicted to pornography is very, very high as well. There is another series that I would recommend, albeit I know you're probably not going to go out and just buy this for your personal edification, but if you ever have the opportunity to participate in a series called the Conquer Series, it specifically deals with the nature of a husband or a man overcoming pornography. 
And uh, I've been through it a number of times with different men. The goal is to really do it in a wider group and so forth. I just have not had uh, uh, the larger number come to me at once where I've been able to do it in a group setting. And again, this may not be the matter for you today, but I, I about dollar to donuts, if you have a son, he's going to be confronted with it. If you have a grandson, they're going to be confronted with it. And so I want you to have some tools right here at the very outset that maybe you would be able to utilize. Now, again, I, I would put this disclaimer. I am an independent fundamental Baptist. I'm not changing. I'm very content to be that. I wear it proudly. Uh, if an independent fundamental Baptist produced this kind of material, I'd recommend it, but they're not at this point. And so this material is produced by some, some good believers. Uh, there are a few caveats that you have to take in and you're like, okay, I, you know, I might not agree with that, but it deals. And here's the key. I believe it deals not just with the Hey, I'm involved with something that's coming through my eye gate. So I need to read my Bible more. It goes much deeper than that. And it, uh, and it helps you understand the psychology behind what you have done to your brain when you at a young age take in something that God never intended for you to take in. And so when the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 12 that I am to renew my mind, they spend a lot of time in how long it takes to actually bring renewal to your mind and to change it. If I could use this illustration as well, here's how it is presented. Our minds are like, and I know we don't know this much about this, but our minds are like jukeboxes, okay? And I know you don't know anything about a jukebox. But I walk into the location, and what happens is someone puts a quarter in the jukebox of my mind, and it goes to a place, and it pulls the record out and puts it right in my head, and it brings everything back as though it's happening right then. It's the way that my mind has developed its attachment to what it's seen. And so it destroys the physical relationship in the husband and wife because it drives individuals to be living in a fantasy world. And you might go for a significant period of time. You say, man, I'm really, I'm really getting the victory. And then, and it comes all back. Okay. And so the word of God is necessary for me to understand it is sin. It is wrong. It is taken through my eye gate. And I have to take steps to tear down those strongholds. But they don't just say, read your Bible more. There's an education behind it that I think is very helpful and, and, and overcoming. So I want to give you those things right here at the outset. And if you're in the habit of taking notes, then you can write those things down. I hope you'll refer to them. Again, Adrian Rogers' message would be on YouTube. Again, you might have to make sure you specifically type in his name correctly and then he's got a lot of messages on there, but you look up the high cost of low living. And uh, he has a far more eloquent message on David's situation than I do. But uh, it, I, I think, would be a great blessing to you. So let's deal with this matter of desire. Second Samuel chapter number 11, verse number 1. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent to Joab, and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. 
Again, it's not my purpose to go into this in great depth. Dr. Rogers does, and boy, it's fantastic to hear him develop why this was so wrong that David stayed behind. He was setting himself up for a fall. Verse number two, came to pass in evening time that David arose from off his bed. There are three significant times in which we are in grave danger of feeding the flesh, okay? And actually there's four, and I uh, I shouldn't have gone down this path because I'm not going to get all four, but I'm going to try to get them. We are open to the flesh when we are hungry, when we are tired, uh, when we are alone, and the fourth one is, and it may be angry, it, it may be that, and that's in one of these series that I've mentioned to you. David, look at this passage again, verse number two, arises from his bed in evening tide. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're a king and you're still laying around the bed at evening tide. But there's an indication from the passage that David knew full well what was about to happen in the evening tide. So he arises from the bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned under her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Look at the last verse of that chapter. In my freshman year of Bible college, Machine Gun Bob Kelly. I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but Machine Gun Bob Kelly. He came and preached at Bob Jones my freshman year in Bible conference, and he preached on this very passage, and he turned over to this last verse, and this was the theme of his message. But the thing that David had done, verse number 27, displeased the Lord. I want to speak on the message, I want to speak today on fleshly desire and how Satan creates such a billboard mentality. If I could travel back with you to my kindergarten year and Mrs. Henry's class, so this is some 45 years ago, Mrs. Henry passed out all these really neat little sheets of paper and she had us write down as kindergartners our favorite recipes. Okay, now we're all kindergartners and and she had them colorful and we got to use crayons and write out our favorite recipes. I still have that recipe book from all of my different classmates and it's in my treasure someplace, you know, and, and, and in storage. And, and uh, I look at it and, and here's kind of how all the recipes go. Like one kid said, mac and cheese, get noodles, get cheese, heat noodles, heat cheese, blend the two mac and cheese. You know I mean? That's kind of how the recipes went. You know, one of them was like fried chicken, get frozen chicken, cover frozen chicken with batter, cook chicken, eat chicken. You know, that's the, that's the type of recipes that we, that we all wrote out. And, and we were all writing out the recipes for our favorite dishes. Okay. Every one of us 
is a combination of every ingredient that we've thrown into our lives. That's true for all of us, okay? Now, you have a favorite recipe, okay? You have something that you just love to fix. You have some kind of food that you just love to eat. You have a favorite recipe, and you say, oh, man, that's my go-to. We're having guests over tonight. That's my go-to. For my mom, one of my mom's go-to recipes is lemon chicken. If you ever go to my mom's house, she loves to fix lemon chicken, and, man, is it good. It's battered and fried, and it's got a lemon flavor to it. Man, is it good. I love that stuff. Uh, and, and it's kind of the favorite recipe. You've got those. You say, I've poured in the ingredients, I've cooked it up, and I love this stuff, okay? David's life was a combination of everything that he's been through. And David comes to this stage of his life, and there's something in him that stirs this desire. There's a fleshly appetite. Now, the truth of the matter is that all of us are born in sin. The Bible says that every single one of us are sinners in the eyes of Almighty God. I'm conceived in sin. The Bible then goes on to tell me that I will face temptations. Okay? Now, let's just look at it today. Let's, let's use a little comparison with food. Okay? There are some of you in this room that just absolutely and without a doubt love tuna fish. Anyone in this room love tuna fish? Anyone at all? All right, look at all these hands, all right? You can eat tuna on crackers. You can eat tuna on bread. You can eat tuna by itself. You can eat tuna with mayonnaise. You can eat tuna every which way you can imagine it. My brother, he loved tuna fish. I never understood why kids took tuna fish to school because by four hours of being in that lunchbox at the school and the locker and the gym, I never quite understood how that was a great combination, all right? I cannot stand tuna, okay? Uh, I just, there's something about it. I just, I'm like, I can't do this, okay? Chicken salad. How many of you all love chicken salad, all right? You all love chicken salad. All right, look at all these hands, man. You guys love chicken salad. Now, there, there's an idea for you for lunch. Praise God that the cook here has enough sense not to serve chicken salad. All right? Is it for lunch today? <laughs> I'm just kidding. My wife and I were serving on a mission field and, and on a short-term missions trip, and the missionary, and I, when I'm on a mission field, I try to eat whatever they set in front of me. I want to be honorable, but this lady prepared for us this massive chicken salad sandwich, and it wasn't one of those things where you go through the buffet and you're just like, I'll pick and choose and I'll find something, everything like this. She put that whole hawking thing on the plate. And I looked over at my wife, and she looked over at me, and she's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I just do not like chicken salad. And so I, I won't tell you the rest of the story, but I, I tried to get some of it down. Anywho. Now, I'm going to tell you some things that I really like, and you're going to say, Pastor, that's nasty. I love rice pudding. Anybody like rice pudding? All right, one. You see this? You see this? There's two. There's another. I love rice pudding. Now, don't go putting no nasty raisins in it. I just like the, the rice pudding. It comes off the shelf. We have a place called Aldi that we shop at. And, man, they have great rice pudding. Man, I love rice pudding. Man, I love that stuff. I could eat it all the time. I love a good egg custard pie. If you've never had egg custard pie, I'm sorry, you just haven't entered heaven yet. 
we had a dear lady in our church in Tennessee, and every year at anniversary, she'd fix me two egg custard pies. The only problem, I don't need to be eating two full egg custard pies. I already struggle and, and uh, don't like to exercise and keep up like I should. And I'm like, uh, Miss Hazel, this, this pie is so good, but I feel such a burden to let it be eaten so that I didn't waste any of it. And so in one sitting, I'm going down at it. I'm like, honey, don't, don't, don't call me until I come up, you know? <laughs> Some of you would look at me and you'd say, man, hey, custard pie, that's nasty. How can you? I love French toast. My wife, why would I want to take bread and saturate it in eggy milk and then fry it and call it something good for breakfast. Man, I love French toast. You see, we could go round and round on all kinds of things like this for a long time. And it's interesting to note that our fleshly appetite is much the same way. For some of you here in the room, it may be a habit. Maybe it's tobacco. And, and you started chewing tobacco or started uh, smoking tobacco a long time ago. I, I, I never reached the point where I thought I would take in tobacco. I just didn't do that. I mentioned the other day that I have a good friend that um, he's a sheriff's deputy and uh, he chews tobacco and he and I have been to many a football games together and everything like this. We've traveled by car on many occasions and he chews tobacco. Well, I, he doesn't say to me, hey, pastor, do you want some? He spits it. He's got his spit cup there. And I'm like, okay, that's your choice. You're making that. That's not my choice but that's your choice. I've watched that happen. And I look at that and I'm like, man, how does anybody do that? I don't understand that. When I was a kid growing up, our house sat this way facing the street, but the house next to us was in a little cul-de-sac, just a real simple cul-de-sac. So here's our house sitting this way. And we had another house that sat this way and it's back uh, porch was towards our house and my window and my bedroom window. And the, the home there, they had a bunch of single adults and they would, it was nothing for them to have beer parties every weekend. And when we delivered papers for the Washington post, we'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and literally our neighborhood would be covered with beer cans. And so we'd pick them up and throw them all back in their yard uh, long before anybody else got up. I, I never got into alcohol. I never reached that point where I thought, you know what? That seems like a good idea. Let me try that. Let me taste that. I didn't get into that. But perhaps there's some that you have a taste for alcohol, okay? Please don't misunderstand. I'm using the analogy that I would with food. And I would recognize some of you love tuna. And I'm saying I hate tuna. See, it's, it's easy for me to look at all of your fleshly appetites and say, Pfft. Come on, that's easy. You should overcome that in no time at all. But then I look at my own, I say, well, now, now, you don't understand. Now, my struggles are really severe and really serious. So if, if, you, if you don't struggle in these areas, then, then uh, you just really don't know what it's like. The Bible says that all of us have temptation and it's two, there's two ways to this temptation. Number one, it's universal temptation. So everyone in this room is tempted by something. But in that temptation, it's not only universal, it's also unique. 
And so there will be messages where you're sitting there and you're saying, pastor, I don't have any temptation in this whatsoever. You, you could fill this room with beer cans and I wouldn't drink a one of them. I, I wouldn't even have a, an inkling to pop one of them open and say, Hey, I wonder what that tastes like. I, I've reached the stage of my life. I'm like, that's no big deal. I don't, I don't struggle with that. You could light up a cigarette right now and I wouldn't say, Hey man, can I just get one puff off of that? I just, I would really like to have one puff off of that. But you know, there's other people that overcame smoking and boy, if you lit up one of them right now and you just gave them that smoke smell, man, it'd be very hard for them not to go back with it. You see, we all have a universal temptation. James 1. We're tempted, but the Bible says, I sin when I give in to that temptation. Well, here is the unique temptation for David. He has purposely set himself up for failure. In the time in which kings go forth to war, he stayed behind. In the time that his family is headed to church, he made other arrangements because he was <coughs> sick. In the time that the rest of the family went on vacation, he stayed behind and said, well, I've just got too much work to do at the office. So why don't you guys go on ahead? He set himself up for failure. And then again, my friend, he was there at an evening tide. In all likelihood, he knew the pattern of this woman's bathing time frame. And the Bible says he looks over the balcony and he sees Bathsheba and he says, hey, go call her, go call her. I want you to see with me the nature of fleshly desires. I have, I believe that there's five things uh, that you can write down related to fleshly desires. Every one of them, I believe, is enough for us to digest in, in a message by itself. But I'm going to give you these five quickly, and I know that the brunch is on the horizon, and I'm looking forward to that. By the way, the food's been outstanding. I appreciate so much uh, the food. And when you come to camp, so many horror stories of how food has been served at camp. And uh, I've just been really blessed by the food this week. So thank you guys very, very much for your investment on our behalf. Great cook. I appreciate him. And I'll try to tell him that as well. Let's walk through these things. Number one, the fleshly desires may be tempting, but they are never truthful. The fleshly desires may be tempting, but they are never truthful. I'll just smoke this one cigarette. I'll just take this one beer. In dealing with law enforcement, by the way, if I could insert this, I love law enforcement, okay? If I did not do what I do, I would be in law enforcement. I love law enforcement. My brother-in-law's in law enforcement. I have all kinds of friends in law enforcement. Right now, I have a Secret Service agent that is serving outside of the country, and he and I are talking all the time about different things that I'm able to acquire for him. He has personally served in the protection of, of uh, the President of the United States, and it's just really interesting to hear what I hear from him. He's a great, great friend, a great believer in serving our country. I love law enforcement, okay? I'm so thankful for the law enforcement protection, and, and I, I truthfully want them to continue to protect us and to keep us safe in our streets and everything like this. But 
uh, a law enforcement officer is not always around, so I have to uh, take matters into my own hands as well. All right. Um, as we deal with these things, though, we understand that law enforcement is dealing with some very serious things when they come upon a car, when they come upon a house, when they come upon an, a, a situation and everything like this. And in dealing with law enforcement, they made it very clear in a class that I took that drugs are very seductive because an individual will take part, will participate in a drug either by some kind of uh, needle, some kind of smoking or something like this. And the very first time that the person participates in the drug, they get an incredible high. And from then on, they spend the rest of their lives trying to get that high again. And it never comes. They never get it again. Why is that? Well, it's very tempting, but it's not truthful. It does not tell the truth about the story and what will really be the outcome. Proverbs chapter 7, if you'd write that down, verses 6 through 23, there are two significant things that I want to just drive home. Intoxicating women and intoxicating wine. Proverbs 23, 29. Proverbs 7, verses 6 through 23 Again, I won't take time to read the passage, but it's basically a billboard of an harlot. And she gives everything that is pleasant to the eye and that is for the lust of the flesh and that is the satisfaction and the pride of life. And she says, listen, come on and there'll be no consequences. Proverbs 7, 6 through 23, intoxicating women, intoxicating wine. And it's interesting to me that the world tells us that with every one of these sins, almost every day into, into work, we hear a commercial now in Virginia because gambling has been made legal in our state. And so we almost always hear a commercial for some kind of fan participation in gambling. And at the end of it, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, isn't that how Satan does? Satan presents all these areas of sin and says, participate, and then gives a tagline. Here it is. Do it responsibly. Satan is a master at having us participate in the billboard of sin and then trying to to appease ourselves by saying, well, I've done it responsibly. Can I just tell you right now that there is nothing that your fleshly Desire will bring into your life that can be handled responsibly. (laughs) The billboard for David showed Bathsheba, but it did not show the loss of his four sons. You see, it was very tempting, but it was not truthful. Number two, fleshly desires might be fed, but they are never full. Fleshly desires might be fed, but they are never full. I'll just have one more. Many years ago, 1994, 1995, a friend of mine and I bought a large baseball card collection. When I say large, it probably had well over 100,000 cards. And we went in together and we bought this large collection. It included like a Michael Jordan rookie card. It included a Kim Olajuwon's rookie card. 
This is the early 90s. We had uh, Mark McGuire's rookie cards. We had Frank Thomas rookie cards. And so we opened a shop together and we said, hey, we'll buy this whole uh, acquired uh, baseball card collection. Then we'll open a shop. And so just on a, on a process of time, I was, of course, full time in the ministry, but he and I worked out times in which he could be there and when I could be there, and we opened a card shop. We called it the Sports Fan Attic, all right? The Sports Fanatic, the Sports Fan Attic. Well, in order to keep new customers coming in, we had to buy new boxes of cards. So we had to buy the modern, the newer. You know, people would not necessarily be coming in for the Mark McGuire rookie card from 1985, but they were coming in for the Derek Jeter rookie card from 1992, 1993, 1994. Well, when you begin to open packs of cards looking for a specific baseball card, it can get very addicting. And so you buy this box of packs, and there's about 32 packs in a box, and it says on the outside of the box, look for this once-in-a-lifetime commemorative card. And so I'd be like, okay... Now, I'm the shop owner, but I have to pay for whatever I open. I'm like, I'm just going to open one pack because, man, if I hit that card, we'll turn around and sell it and we'll make big money. It's not in there. Three bucks. Okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Man, it could be the very next pack that I open, though. Three bucks. Well, there's only 30 packs left, so it has to be in one of them. My wife listened to me shuffle cards on end, and there's a noise that cards make that is very unique and aggravating to someone that's not counting the cards and looking at the cards. I'm just talking about baseball cards, but I'm telling you, Satan's got a lot more tools in his belt. And he convinces us that as we're feeding it, that it will reach the point where we'll actually be filled up and we'll then just say no to it from then on. But the truth of the matter is it might be fed, but it's never full. Fleshly desires are fed, but never full. Don't ever feel bad about not participating in fleshly desires. (laughs) Don't ever kowtow to someone else when you tell them that your kids have never smoked a cigarette. Don't ever kowtow to them when you tell them, hey, my kids have never drank a beer. Don't ever kowtow to your, don't ever kowtow to them and think to yourself, man, my kids haven't really ever lived if they haven't seen this or that. No, listen, the best thing that you can do is to protect them from those fleshly desires because once they start partaking, they'll think that they're going to eventually be full and they'll be, they'll never be full and they'll continue to feed it. Number three, fleshly desires might be insulated but they're never isolated. They might be insulated, but they are never isolated. You and I are familiar with a certain White House intern that served in the mid-90s under the Clinton administration. (laughs) And she weaved her way into a position where she interacted with the president, President Clinton at the time. 
She weaves her way into interactions with him on an occasion, then on another occasion, and then another occasion, to the point where the president had called her in, and they actually had some time alone in a little room right off of the Oval Office. And no doubt, there were some individuals in the White House that began to say, hey, what's this 20-something-year-old kid coming in the Oval Office and meeting with the president? I mean, what's up with that? And so the president, no doubt, had to start taking some arrangements to cover why she was actually coming in and had that kind of access. I mean, she's not with national security. She's not one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. She's not telling us about the next terrorist threat. How does this 20-something get into the house? So what happens, according to the eyewitnesses that were involved with the FBI and Secret Service and other individuals, there began to be a process of insulating the knowledge of this young lady. David did the same thing. David had called for Bathsheba to come up, but once he participated in the act, then he had to begin to insulate it. He had to begin to protect himself or I'm, I'm, uh, insulate himself from anyone else having the knowledge. Remember, he sends the note with Joab and he says, hey, take this back to Uriah. And, or has Uriah take the note back to Joab? I'm sorry, I got that mixed up. Has Uriah deliver the note to Joab? Joab puts Uriah on the front of the hottest battle and his life is taken. He's doing everything he can to insulate from the knowledge of it. Though he tried to protect it, and though he tried to cover it up, people knew. You may have tried covering your tracks. You may have tried lying to your family. You might try lying to your friends. You might try lying to your fellow workers. But the truth of the matter is, we'll never be isolated. Numbers 32.23 a verse that my parents had me write many times as a kid growing up, be sure your sins will find you out. There are those that think that they can keep an, an incident isolated and that no one, ever, no one else will ever find out. I would remind you what the Bible says there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 in the last part of that verse. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Number four, fleshly desires might be unseen, but they are never unknown. Fleshly desires might, may be unseen, but they are never unknown. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. If you were to travel with me back to ancient Egypt, Moses had been raised in the home of Pharaoh's daughter. He knew the ways of Egypt. He knew everything that was going on in Egypt. He knew their culture and everything like this. But the Bible says on a given day, he walked out amongst the Egyptian masters and saw one of the masters beating an Israelite. And the Bible says, and it's very, it's very interesting as to the wording of the word of God. The Bible says he looked this way and that way. And he took the life of that Israel or of that Egyptian taskmaster and he buried him. Boy, I tell you what, that picture is very real. How many individuals today are looking this way 
and that way and thinking that what they're about to do is unseen. The very next day, two Hebrew individuals are out there in an argument and Moses comes to them and says, hey brothers, why why are you arguing? I mean, surely all people, we should be the ones that get along. And the one responds to Moses and says, hey, you going to do to me what you did to that guy yesterday? That's what I call the uh-oh moment. Have you ever had one of those in your life? I had one in seventh grade. We had five verses that we were supposed to memorize for our Bible class that day. I didn't memorize them. You see, I was too slick. I wrote them down ahead of time. Put my name in the upper left corner. Put the date in the upper right corner. We had these old-fashioned desks, and they were wooden and metal. And there was a large hole on one side so you could fix, put your three-ring binder in that. There was a smaller hole on the other side. Bible class came along. Mr. Arnold said, take out your papers and begin to write your five verses. And so I took out my paper, Todd Abbey, wrote my date down in Christian school. I'm going to cheat on a Bible test. (laughs) And so the five verses, I don't even remember what I was writing. And then Mr. Arnold says, go ahead and turn in your papers. Oh, this was. (laughs) I'm taking my paper and I'm like, pulled it out of my desk because no one would ever know. Finished Bible class that day. Mr. Arnold says, hey, you're dismissed. Head to lunch or I don't know if we were headed to recess or what. Hey, Todd, can you stay after? I'm like, yeah, sure. Mr. Arnold loves me. This would be great. Well, he probably wants to commend me on something. You know, this would be great. I stayed after and sitting there on my desk, and Mr. Arnold says, can you go ahead and just quote the first verse from our Bible quiz today or Bible test? Uh, oh, <laughs> you know, I had looked this way and I had looked that way and there was no one that could know. It might be unseen, but it's never unknown. David thought, I'll get away with this and it will never be known. And by the way, he only encouraged himself all the more when he killed Uriah, because after all, we'll have the opportunity to come back and to commend Uriah to all the armies and we'll put his star up on a wall and we'll identify him as a hero because he gave his life in the sacrifice of the freedom of the nation of Israel and his widow will receive lifetime income because of the sacrifice that her husband has made and what more valiant step could I take but to marry the grieving widow? Might be unseen, but it's never unknown. Let me give you one more. The fleshly desires might be unconfessed, but they're never unpunished. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is one of the most unbelievable chapters in all the Bible because God had supernaturally appeared to Nathan and had given him a message and said, Nathan, there's something that you don't know about 
but I know about it. And he says, I want you to go and confront it. Now, can I tell you today, Mr. Arnold was not my biggest enemy, was he? He was my greatest friend. Because praise God, I got caught. This young man that just got dismissed from our academy for a poor decision that he made, I said to you, I met with him for lunch on Monday. And I said, I got to tell you that you might think that getting caught was the worst thing that could happen, but in truth, it was the best thing that could happen. You say, Pastor, how did it happen? This young man had been sneaking out of his house in the overnight hours. We're talking like 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. He'd gone out, and his parents' house does not have a garage itself, so there was no garage to open. Their cars were parked out on the front street. And so he got in the car, and he would drive over 15 miles, 3 o'clock in the morning, down across 95. If you're familiar with the 95 corridor, it can be busy at times. He's driving 15 miles to go and see a young lady, and she, he would arrive at her house, and she would open the door, and he would come in. One night, his dad got up, not knowing that any of this has ever occurred once, but his dad just happened to get up, and he looked out front, and he's like, where's our car? And he's like, I can't believe this, but someone has stolen our car in the overnight hours. So he begins to go room by room and just check all the kids and check everybody and everything like this. And he comes into the son's room and the son's not there. But the son left a note that said, I'm with my cousin. So the father picks up the note and drives right over to the cousin's house. And here the cousin is out seeing a different girl but neither boy knew that they were going to be out that night necessarily. They're, so they're not together. But the one tried to use the other as an alibi. And the one dad goes to the other dad, their brothers-in-law, and says, hey, my son's with your son. Where are they? And he looked at him and said, what are you talking about? My son's in the bed right now. It's three o'clock in the morning. He said, well, go check. Well, lo and behold, he wasn't in bed. But they didn't know that they were both going to be gone on the same night. So now they both get caught. And you might look at that and you might say, oh, that was his worst night. No, my friend, that was his best night. Because but by the grace of God, he could have been in far worse conditions. Nathan walks in and Nathan doesn't just come in and say, David, I know what you did. Nathan walks in with a great story and says, hey, a man went out. He had plenty of sheep, but he needed one. He didn't want to take any of the plentiful sheep that he had. He needed one, so he went next door and he took the pet that belonged to his next door neighbor and slaughtered it and ate it. I mean, this was a named pet to the kids, to the family. And David was furious. David comes back and says, give me the name of the man. Isn't that how we all are? I go back to what I said in introduction. I'm jumping down your throat because you don't overcome your temptations when I know full well that I'm not dealing with my temptations. David is furious. And whoever did this, give me his name. I'll have him restore fourfold. 
What a genius plan from Nathan. And again, I believe from Almighty God. He looks right at David and said, Thou art the man. Boy, I'm busted. And initially, we might think that Nathan was his worst enemy, but he wasn't. He was his best friend. If you get confronted over the nature of your sin by someone, you need to wrap your arms around them and thank them. I know that I, as a child, did not always do that with my parents or my grandparents. I didn't always thank them, but I look back now and listen to this carefully. I am so thankful that my parents did not give up in the fight against my flesh. If they had given up in the fight against my flesh, I would not be where I am today. And I dare say I would not even be alive because my flesh would have ruined me very rapidly. The fleshly desires might be unconfessed, but they are never unpunished. Nathan says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's three things that are going to be the results of this. Number one, the people will be given occasion to blaspheme the name of God. Number two, your child that is conceived in Bathsheba will die. And number three, the sword will never depart from your house. Let's take David just as we did last night with Isaac and Rebecca. Let's take David back and let's put up all the billboards to David. And let's say, David, David, will you give in to these billboards? But let's, before he gives in and makes the decision, let's take down the billboards and let's show him the results of Absalom and Amnon and Tamar and the loss of life and all these people and say, David, will it be worth it? There's no way David would have said, Yes, I'll take that. But Satan does such a masterful job of making us think that our fleshly desires are just right there for the taking and it will be so great because there will be no consequences. You can make up your own recipe. Everyone in this room And everyone that you're attached to has the opportunity to make up their own recipe. But in adding all the ingredients, listen to this carefully, you do not get to choose how that taste comes out. (laughs) So I'm saying to each one of us, put in the right ingredients. David started mixing in the worst of ingredients. And when that cake came out, it was bitter. No telling how many tears he shed over the loss of the baby that was born to Bathsheba. No telling how many tears were shed when he heard what Amnon had done to Tamar in chapter 13. No telling how many tears were shed then when Absalom drives him out of the kingdom and says, Dad, I'm taking over the throne. I know how to lead Israel best. And David's On the run, Psalm 3, read it sometime and you'll see what he was thinking. A lot of temptations out there, but boy, I tell you what, if I could see for sure what it would do to my wife and what it would do to my boys, I'd come back and I'd say, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It would have been better to take a zero on that quiz or that verse test than to face the punishment that I faced. And I got punished. (laughs) So where are you tonight or today? These matters of fleshly desires. Again, you might say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm, 
I'm genuinely doing right by the Lord. And I, I don't know that I have some desire that's in control of my life right now. I would say, praise the Lord. Stay on guard, but genuinely look to help somebody else because no doubt someone around you is struggling right now. And maybe you have the opportunity to give an inroad into their life and just to say, hey, these five principles will always be true about fleshly desires. Make no doubt about it. Satan will do all he can to deceive for the purpose of being able to destroy. This was an ancient home that had a very modern problem. But I wonder if your modern home has this very ancient problem. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the opportunity to speak to these dear folks. I appreciate so much their attention through each of the sessions. And I know it's, it's, it's just packed into a great weekend and, and digesting all that has been given is not necessarily easy in, in just a few hours, but through the course of the coming weeks, as they perhaps take stock of the different homes, and then perhaps they do some of their own study and they look into the life of Abraham and Sarah. Oh, they had some issues in their ancient home. Jacob and Rachel and Leah had some issues in their ancient home. Elkanah. And Naomi had some issues in their ancient home. There are so many more that we could go through. But I do pray that these four that have been highlighted would be a specific help. That we'd see the error and that we choose to walk on the right path. And Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen each of these couples, help them to be what you'd have them to be. We pray for the burdens that each of them are carrying right now. No doubt there are things that are upon their hearts that Perhaps they've not shared and, and they're just praying earnestly for some need or for something to come to pass. Lord, would you uh, specifically meet with them even this weekend and show them very clearly you're still on the throne, your way is best, and you will work out all things for our good and your glory. But we must trust you. We must live in obedience. We must not defect. We must, we absolutely must be truthful. And Lord, we must fight the flesh. Let come what may. Thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.